You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Malcolm's Car, which originally aired January 30th, 2005, was directed by Peter Lauer, and written by Alex Reed. Hi, I'm Jake, and this podcast is the only true thing on my resume. And I'm David, an entrapment. It's not just for the police anymore. Ah, <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. That's going to be an award later. <laughs> uh, I figured it might be, Jake. I figured it might be. <laughs> and we don't have any poll results this week for our community segment, but we do have a special news report. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and judging by your excitement, I'm guessing that I'm probably going to have to eat some crow here. I don't know why you would eat a crow, but uh, you were wrong about a thing. Yeah, all right, let's talk about it. <laughs> because uh, in uh, one of our previous community segments, uh, we got into a discussion, uh, like a further discussion, about the episode Hal's Christmas Gift, uh, as we were trying to uh, remember how many uh, bikers there were that uh, beat that guy up. Uh-huh. As uh, I, I was, like, very insistent that it was two guys, and uh, you said, uh, initially you said you thought that there were four guys, and then you doubled down later and said up to six guys. Did I say, no way. Yes. No. <laughs> I don't, listen, I don't even remember saying that. Like, I remember very clearly thinking that it was four. Maybe you did piss me off so bad that I just said six, but... Probably. It wouldn't be unlike me to just be like, fuck you. I, I may have been Price of Writing, <laughs> Price is writing this. <laughs> well, it, it was also very funny listening back to it at, uh, for the editing as we uh, both, like, we both immediately declared that we were 100% certain that we were correct and then both, like, started to back stuff <laughs> because the other person was so confident that they were right. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be, right? I mean, yeah. That's how we do it here, David. But I did go back and re-watch that scene to make sure, and I was correct. There was only the two guys. Okay. I don't think that it still changes the morality of it, but I will say, I am sorry. I was wrong. It's only two dudes. All right, there you go. But there was more than two bikes, weren't there? No, there was only two bikes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, huh. All right. I don't know why my head made it more than, because I was thinking, oh, okay, well, it'd be easy for me to have that clear memory if there were like a bunch of bikes there or something. There sure isn't. <laughs> All right. Are you sure? Did you yes. check for that? I feel like I we did. need another. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to get that a uh, very important uh, special r report uh, out of the way. Of course you did. And uh, with that, let's get into this week's episode. Starting with the cold open in which Hal is tickling Jamie. And uh, as he is, as he's like tickling his stomach, uh, outside the car beeps. It does the like uh, standard like, you know, car being locked or unlocked, beep, beep. And Hal like looks confused for a second and then like pokes Jamie's stomach and it happens again. And he repeats this a couple times. Then he just like turns and yells over his shoulder, honey, you can stop looking for the keys. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yes. And uh, from there, we will go into the uh, episode proper, which we have two plot lines this time. And we're going to start with the titular plot line, the one centered around Malcolm and his car, which I think you have named the C plot for Christine. It's <laughs> uh, a good guess, but no. Damn. I actually named it the M.O. plotline for Maximum Overdrive. Damn it. <laughs> the one time I don't reference Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> I, I thought for sure you were going to guess this, but I was like, man, that's funny. <laughs> well, I went with Christine because it, like, it's the same model of car as Christine. And like Correct. the same paint and everything. So I, I figured you'd go with that. That's a fair assumption. And I don't blame you. But the fact that the car tries to kill Malcolm, I couldn't not go with Maximum Overdrive. Fair enough. <laughs> Damn you, Stephen King, having two different killer car show books slash movies. <laughs> show books slash movies? Yeah. Actually, I think one or both of them are short stories, but that's besides the point. It starts with uh, the inspiration for your introductory line. As uh, Malcolm is, like, laying in bed, and Reese walks into the room and uh, <laughs> very happily t tells Malcolm that uh, he, he has been working on talking to a uh, guy named Heinrich in a chat room for the last, uh, I think he says, five days. Something like that, yeah. And... He then uh, printed out their entire conversation and went to his house and <laughs> used it to entrap him. Uh. He then says, it's, it's not just for the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reese. <laughs> and Malcolm, like, looks very disturbed, understandably, by him explaining all of this. And asks, why are you telling me this? And... Uh, Reese says, because he works at the racetracks, and we're going to use this entrapment to make him, uh, put illegal bets in for us, uh, and you are going to figure out, uh, you know, which horses to bet on, so that we can make some money and split it 50-50 like brothers. Which, I'm gonna be honest, that part surprised me from Reese. Fair. <laughs> and... Uh, Malcolm uh, uh, agrees, and he turns to Cameron and says, Yeah, that's actually kind of sweet. <laughs> he says, uh, We're uh, blackmailing a pervert into uh, letting us uh, uh, use him for illegal gambling. This couldn't possibly go wrong. Then <laughs> it hard cuts to uh, like a few days later as Malcolm is walking, uh, pushing Stevie in his wheelchair, explaining to Camera, It didn't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, usually, you know. Reese's plans involve losing a toe. <laughs> yes, but uh, this plan has actually worked. They made $300 over the last week. And uh, Stevie is, like, holding a bunch of, like, fast food. And he asks Malcolm, uh, why did you buy me lunch? You never pay for lunch. And Malcolm starts, like, making up a lie about work having, like, a uh, incentive program. But he <laughs> gets distracted as he, like, looks over. And sees a, like, very run-down Barracuda. And he, he, like, gets so distracted that he accidentally pushes Stevie uh, 
Like, off of the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, Stevie's... Stevie is so good at being utilized as one of the best characters in the shortest amount of time in this show. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> and uh, as Malcolm is, like, apologizing to uh, Stevie, he then, like, looks over at the car again and realizes that there is a for sale sign in the window. And he just, like, runs over, like, fully, like, dumping Stevie into the street as he does out of his wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stevie Stevie is fully airborne separated from the, the wheelchair in this, in my mind. Like, it happens <laughs> off screen, but it, it, it happened. <laughs> then Malcolm drives this car home, having bought it with the gambling money. And... Uh, it's, like, very, like, loud and, like, uh, you know, clearly a shitty car as he, like, pulls in and uh, Hal, Lois, and Dewey all, like, go outside hearing the car and immediately Malcolm uh, tells them, uh, you know, I, I, I know you're going to say that this is a bad idea, but uh, you give me time to lay out my argument before you start yelling. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he talks about, you know, how uh, cheap it is and how it's, you know, cheap enough that he can afford a, a full year of, of insurance already. And it'll save them money because it'll save wear and tear on their car because he won't be driving it. And he can pick up extra shifts. That's right. And uh, because it's a sports car, cops will be watching him closer, thinking he's driving faster, which will actually make him drive safer. Yeah, okay. And as he's explaining all this, Dewey is, like, walking around looking at the car, pointing out uh, that it's... Uh, first, he, like, looks under the car and says, Hey, it's leaking some kind of black goo. <laughs> and he, like, goes <laughs> to the back of the car and says, I can put my finger through the metal. <laughs> <laughs> and Lois, like, is about to tear into him, but Hal pulls her aside and says, every boy goes through this. He has to have this shitty car so that he can learn what's actually important in a car. Then, uh, the, the next time we, we come back to this plot line, Malcolm is, like, like working on his car, and uh, Reese comes out and is upset because they uh, missed a meeting with Heinrich, which is the uh, pervert that Reese is blackmailing. And... But when he, like, you know, asks what happens, uh, Malcolm says that he was too busy buying this car. And he says, you know, isn't it beautiful? And Reese takes a look at it and says, it's a piece of crap. <laughs> Which, of course, Malcolm doesn't take kindly to as he, like, leans down and whispers to the car not to listen to him as he, like, strokes it. And as he does, one of the uh, headlights falls out. Then we see Malcolm trying to get the car to start as he's, like, sitting in the driver's seat, you know, turning the key, turning the ignition, uh, while he has a, uh, like, metal hanger, like, stretched out, uh, connected to something in the engine that, that he's, like, pulling on to try to get it to start as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's trying to pull on the, on the starter. Okay. And Stevie shows up. And uh, much like Reese, he is upset with Malcolm for blowing him off for this car, as he says that he was waiting at the library for him. But Malcolm completely ignores him and uh, tells Stevie uh, how great this car is. He tells him a story about how uh, earlier he was at a stoplight and some jerks pulled up and wanted to race. And uh, he 
uh, laid on the gas, and for four seconds, she flew. Uh, <laughs> then an oil pan fell off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a buddy who had a car like that once. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Uh, we literally had to put uh, bailing wire around a hose and then, like, hold it in place with chewing gum until we could get, like, into uh, the hardware store and, and get a hose clamp. Okay. The only car I, like, see that that was, like, this level of shitty was my dad's old truck, which for a time had just, like, cardboard <laughs> as, like, the uh, floor... Uh, you started it with a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was uh, just a real piece of shit. <laughs> but uh, getting back to the episode, Malcolm, like, uh, offers, uh, well, like, getting the car started, he, like, in order to make up uh, to Steve that, you know, he's been blowing him off, he offers uh, to take him for a drive. Uh, but, of course, as soon as he says that, the car dies, and he has to, like, start working on it. And Stevie, like... Uh, sadly, wheels himself away. Oh, I, I did skip over. Uh, over the course of that uh, conversation, Reese also comes out with a giant yeah. lot of cash. <laughs> and, like, start, uh, immediately says, uh, We did great, Malcolm. We made $300. <laughs> and he, like, starts to say, uh, Through the gambling, he, like, notices Stevie is there and says, Through the Good grades program. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, Stevie wouldn't be at the top list. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, Steve, like Reese is in this program and Stevie isn't. Right? The perfect lie. But, uh, and maybe well, it's an incentive for kids like Reese to get good grades. Maybe uh, that's what it is. Makes sense. Yeah. But... Uh, Malcolm's like very excited upon seeing all of this money because he uh, like immediately says that's great it'll uh, that'll pay for this and like goes over uh, and like uh, takes out a new part for the car and like uh, goes over and like puts it in uh, and when, when it dies at like very like cartoon like style like spits the the new part out from the bottom like completely crushed up and destroyed yeah yeah then uh. We once again see Malcolm uh, arriving home. This time he's pushing the car into the driveway. And he, like, starts fighting with the car, saying, you know, every time I fix one thing, something else breaks. And as he's, like, you know, talking to the car, uh, Reese once again comes out and he uh, tells Malcolm, uh, thank you for putting the bed in for me today. I couldn't get out of detention. And Malcolm says, uh, I didn't make it. I didn't put the bet in. I used the money for something else. And, uh, of course, like, Reese is shocked by this, you know, asking what he did with these $200. And Malcolm says he bought a car bra. <sighs> <laughs> and he, like, shows it to Reese and starts talking about how sexy it is. <laughs> As he's opening up the hood to work on the car again. And Reese tells him that, you know, he uh, needs to, like, calm down with this car and it's clearly messing him up. But Malcolm insists, you know, no, it's not. This is the happiest I've ever been. Uh, and as he's like, says this, the hood of the car falls and, like, traps him in the hood with, like, his legs dangling. <laughs> then 
Uh, we see Malcolm polishing the car and saying, okay, that's four coats. Will you run now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the polish is going to magically make this crap car better. Now, he's negotiating with it, David. I know. He's <laughs> pleading with it. Really. True. <laughs> then uh, Reese tells him that uh, the leopard skin seat covers he ordered came in. And Malcolm, like, very excitedly runs inside, uh, where Reese, Stevie, and a, uh, AAA mechanic are all waiting for him for an intervention. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> uh, I love Mike. And Stevie tells him that, uh, that this car has made him abandon his friends. You didn't even notice my new, uh, dog shoes. And Reese says that uh, his relationship with this car has affected their illegal gambling. <laughs> <laughs> because you weren't there to help me, and I'm such an idiot, I put uh, a bet down on a uh, horse that was uh, 11 to 1. And I won! <laughs> it was uh, $1,500. No. Uh, or... Yeah, yeah, eleven thousand five hundred dollars, which he can't collect because he'd have to fill out a tax form. <laughs> well, and Reese says it's all because of your stupid car. Malcolm says, "Don't call it stupid," and he like starts defending the car. <laughs> and uh, Mike then like leans down in front of him and tells him, "You know, the first step is admitting that you have a problem, just like I had to. Uh, that's when I joined AA." A. <laughs> <laughs> and when, you know, Malcolm insists he doesn't have a problem, Mike points to his black eye that he got from the hood slamming on him and uh, asks, where'd you get that shiner? And Malcolm, like, uh, starts saying that, you know, uh, it was his fault, he wasn't being careful. And then, uh, then they, like, uh, get him to, like, start saying, you know, uh, I didn't realize how bad it had gotten, and uh, it seems like he's, you know, having this realization, but then he... Like, mid-sentence, sprints out to the car and drives away. Uh, they all, like, watch him drive away, looking disappointed. And Stevie says, I didn't get to read my poem. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Stevie. He puts in so much work, and Malcolm just shrugs it off. He sure does. Uh, the next time we see Malcolm, he is in the garage with the car. Now, once again, you know, trying to get it to, to run. And... Uh, he says that it's a, he accuses his car of being a tease because it was running great yesterday and uh, the bra flew off before he even got to the interstate. And today it won't even start. Right. And he uh, like gets in and closes the door and he like begs it to, you know, please just start. We were meant to be together. Uh, once again, uh, turns the key. And it miraculously starts. And of course, like, Malcolm's very excited. Uh, and he, like, uh, goes, you know, get out to uh, pop the, the hood. And when he goes to open the door, the handle breaks off. And he, like, looks over at the other door and sees that the handle on that one is already broken. And he uh, goes to turn the car off, and it won't turn off. And he, like, ends <laughs> up pulling the ignition, like, fully out. That he, like, uh, tries to roll the windows down, but none of the windows will work. <laughs> and uh, he, like, starts uh, hammering on the window, screaming for help that he is trapped. <laughs> as the garage fills with fumes. 
Yes, as he realizes his mistake. Maximum overdrive. <laughs> uh, but we then see Malcolm uh, still trapped in the car, with the garage still filling with smoke, and he's, like, choking and, like, uh, laying against the seat, like, looking very weak as he's talking to camera. And he you know, finally admits Stevie was right. Uh, I got too obsessed with this car, and Reese was right, too. But that makes this easier, because I don't want to live in a world where Reese is right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I knew you'd like that line. Then, uh, Stevie, uh, who is at the house uh, for other reasons, like, goes out into the backyard, and he notices, you know, uh, that there's some, like, smoke rolling out from under the garage door. And he tries to tell Hal and Reese... Uh, but they, like, ignore him with Hal blowing him off, saying, uh, yeah, we're, we're busy right now, Stevie. And, uh, Stevie goes over and pulls Malcolm out of the garage to safety. Uh, and, of course, you know, seeing this, uh, Reese and Hal finally, like, run over and they're, uh, you know, telling him to breathe. And, uh, Malcolm, like, looks at Stevie and, uh, says, you know... Uh, thank you, uh, I treated you like dirt and you still saved my life. When he says, uh, could you move your wheels kind of on my crotch? And Stevie just looks down at him and says, Is, is it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> uh, I love Stevie so much. <laughs> Man, uh, this plot line ends with Malcolm, like, sitting, looking miserable on the couch. And Hal comes over and tells him uh, that they're about to tow the car away. Does he want to go say goodbye? And Malcolm says no. And Hal, like, gives him a little pep talk. Uh, and, you know, tells him that, uh, you know, he, he never thought he would get over his first car either. Some other guy stole it. And then a few weeks later, he uh, saw some other guy driving it with a new paint job. And he didn't feel anything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that wraps up this plot line uh leaving two sort of interconnected plot lines that are sort of so entwined that we kind of have to go through them together is uh lois and hal both have sort of their own thing going on that like uh connects to each other yeah i figured you weren't gonna break it up because of how connected they were so i only gave it one title so that does raise the question of like which side of things did you focus on did you focus on the Lois and Craig side or did you focus more on the Hal side? That's an excellent question, Jake. Uh I think you focus on the Hal side. Okay. And I think you named this the BS plot for Barbershop. Interesting. Um completely wrong, but interesting. I focus more on the Craig Lois. Barbershop was a good one. And uh had I focused more on Hal? Probably would have been. But I name this the TW plotline for Tiger Woods. You know, because of all the infidelity. Oh, and golf. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> You're welcome, Jake. <laughs> I also named it that for that dumb joke. What? <laughs> I couldn't tell. Wow. I need to try harder next time. But uh, this plotline starts uh, with Lois coming home from a haircut that she, like, left (laughs) in the middle of. 
uh, because the uh, guy that she usually goes to for her haircuts had the nerve to tell her, you know, mid-haircut that he had raised his price. That's right, and she wasn't paying the extra. That's right, she wasn't paying that extra $7. <laughs> to be fair, it's a pretty high jump for a haircut at the time. Yeah, that's fair. It did go up by like a third, because I think she says it went from 21 to 28. Yeah, something like that. And uh, as a result, like only, you know, half of her hair is got like significantly shorter than the other half. And uh, she hands Hal like a pair of, you know, just Hal scissors and tells him, even it up, I can't walk around like this. And Hal like uh, closes his eyes and starts to cut. <laughs> And it uh, cuts to this uh, haircut being complete, and it looks very good. Uh, and Lois is, like, admiring it, looking in, like, a hand mirror, talking about how good of a job he did. And uh, Hal says, you know, that he's amazed, too. He must be a natural. <laughs> and he says that uh, somehow she looks even more stunning than she used to. And when uh, Lois, you know, says that that's sweet and, like, leans in to kiss him, he, like... Puts a finger up to, to like, stop her so that he can, like, uh, trim, like, the edges of her bangs. Then at work, like, a bunch of uh, female co-workers are, like, complimenting Lois on her new haircut with, like, backhanded compliments. Yeah. Telling her that, you know, uh, her old haircut made her look trapped in the 70s and this new haircut makes her, uh, head look less blocky. <laughs> And it doesn't, it really hides the size of her nose. <laughs> like, god damn. <laughs> and uh, as they, they're uh, having this conversation, uh, Lois's manager, Fred, uh, and his wife, Pauline, come out of uh, Fred's office. And, uh, like, she sees the haircut and also starts, like, talking about it. Uh, which prompts Lois to, you know, tell everyone there that uh, her, uh, Hal is the one who did it. But, you know, he just cut it in their kitchen. Which they're, like, all amazed by. And then as Fred is walking out, uh, Craig walks in past him. As he walks by, Craig, like, looks into the distance and says, There goes the spirit of this store. <laughs> yep. What a kiss-ass. <laughs> and he goes over to talk to Fred's wife, like, you know, having a whispered conversation. Uh, then... After the conversation, like, Craig goes over to Lois and asks for her to cover a shift for him. And uh, Lois, you know, asks why, uh, saying that, you know, he's been doing this a lot lately. And Craig says that he has uh, been teaching Pauline how to golf uh, because she wants to learn how to golf as a present to Fred uh, because he loves golf. And he lied to her and said that he was only three strokes short of the cutoff uh, to join the Masters. Huh. And, huh. What a uh, he, lie. <laughs> he explains that, uh, you know, he's worried about his job, that he, uh, you know, needs to uh, do this so that, uh, you know, uh, as this uh, makes their relationship better, they'll give him credit and he'll be able to keep his job. <laughs> and that's where my opening line comes from. <laughs> as he says, please, Lois, I need this job. That's uh, the only true thing on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> And he says that he has to, uh, he, he needs her to cover this shift because he has to go off and get golf lessons so that he can teach her golf lessons. <laughs> Boy, what a lie, Craig. What a good lie. Before uh, Lois, like, even sa says anything else, uh, Fred comes in and tells Craig 
Uh, I want you to unload all the 50-pound bags of dog food by the time I get back. Which, of course, Craig, like, happily agrees to. Then as soon as Fred walks away, he turns to Lois and thanks her for taking the shift for him and leaves. <laughs> without her ever actually agreeing to do it. <laughs> then when Lois comes home from work, she finds uh, one of the co-workers she was talking to in her kitchen getting her hair cut. Uh, bye, Hal. Dewey is, like, sweeping up, and he's excited because he gets to keep the hair. Which we're not even going to touch why he's excited about that. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> don't know, don't want to know. <laughs> and, uh, Lois, like, starts putting the groceries away, and Hal uh, asks her, uh, could you not do the grocery thing here? <laughs> uh, peasant. God. <laughs> so snarky, the way he does. Then... Uh, we, we see the continuation of Hal turning their house into, like, a beauty salon. As uh, he is uh, in the kitchen, cutting another lady's hair, uh, while Dewey is at the table uh, doing a manicure for a lady. And uh, both Hal and Dewey are, like, gossiping with their respective customers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it. <laughs> That's part of the job. Exactly. It's barbershop protocol, Jake. God. And Lois, like, pulls Hal aside and uh, tells him that uh, she wants him to stop doing this because she's been, you know, working all these extra shifts covering for Craig uh, and she, you know, just wants to come home and relax, but their house is always full of people now and there's hair everywhere. And when Hal says, you know, uh, he's not going to do that, you know, that this means too much to him and these women... Lois says, fine, could you at least use some of the money you're bringing in from this to hire a cleaning lady then? And Hal says he's not accepting money for this. Exactly. How could he, Jake? It would defile it. Yes, it would. It would solely the special relationship he has with these women. Not just about the hair. You know, uh, they need someone to confide in, and he provides that. And he says that, tells Lois, you know, you have... No idea what some of these women are going through. And he says, you know, one is being audited. And he uh, points out that uh, Pauline is having an affair. <laughs> when Lois, like, gasps and says, what? Uh, Hal says, uh, yeah, she's having an affair with some guy who's pretending to teach her golf. <laughs> leaves Lois, like, slack-jawed in amazement. She, you know, pieces it together that that means Craig is the one she's having an affair with. <laughs> then, back at the Lucky Aid, Craig comes into the break room and once again, uh, you know, asks Lois to uh, cover for him as he, like, you know, saying that he's going to another one of these uh, golf lessons and he's, like, going into this whole spiel about how expensive it is and how it's eating into his savings. Uh, and, like, halfway through... You know, this uh, big lie he's concocted. Uh, Craig says, And you know about the affair, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, Her death glare kind of gave it away. Yes. <laughs> and of course, Lois is upset that he's been lying to her about this and, you know, having this affair. And, you know, she says, you know, After everything I've done for you, I can't believe you've been treating me like this. You know, uh, we, we let you sleep at our house when you thought the uh, ghost of your cat was trying to kill you. I settled that grudge between you and the Girl Scout troop. <laughs> hey, they started that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, Lois tells him, you know, he's going to have to break this relationship off. And uh, Craig tells her that uh, that uh, Pauline, like, uh, has shown him this uh, dark place he didn't even know was inside of him. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, apparently their uh, first tryst ended, ended up with him uh, being handcuffed in a bathroom. <laughs> And uh, Lois, uh, when Craig, you know, asks, uh, are, are you going to uh, tell on me? Lo Lois says, no, but you have to end things today. And Craig uh, uh, tells her, you know, I can't do that. I'm addicted. And, you know, I I'm just not able to leave her like that. And he uh, says that he knows she didn't actually agree, but he's going to thank her for helping anyways. He runs off once again, like leaving Lois to cover his shift. <laughs> Without her agreeing to. <laughs> Poor Lois. Then uh, we once again go back to the Wilkerson house, where there is, like, a bunch of customers now. Uh, uh, Hal is cutting one woman's hair while Dewey is, like, uh, washing Stevie's hair, which is why he's at the Wilkerson house and, uh, you know, there to uh, find Malcolm as he's dying. <laughs> and uh, Craig sits on the couch uh, next to a kid who's reading a comic book. Uh, which Craig, like, looks over at and says, Oh, Human Volcano, I, uh, I love that book. And they, like, talk about how much better the comic has got ever since Human Volcano ca uh, gained the power to read minds. Uh, he used to just have heat touch. How lame was that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Craig pulls a candy bar out of his pocket and, like, starts unwrapping it, and he looks over at this kid and uh, goes, Are you allergic to nuts? And the kid goes, no. And Craig, like, sighs sadly and goes, fine, do you want some? <laughs> and uh, they, they, like, start talking about this kid's school life. As he's, like, talking about how he, he doesn't like school because he always gets bullied. Craig is, like, relating to him, saying, you know, uh, it was the same for him when he was in school. And, you know, it's those uh, smart loner kids. They were the meanest. <laughs> <laughs> And the kid tells Craig that, you know, Jim is the worst. Even my own team throws balls at me when we play dodgeball. And Craig tells him his trick for getting out of Jim. And he says, you just need a fake inhaler, <laughs> which he gives. <laughs> then Lois comes over and compliments the kid on his haircut, saying, you know, how good he looks. And uh, he she turns to Craig and uh, reveals that this kid is Frank and Paula's son. And... Uh, she says that, uh, you know, uh, she, she's going to take him home and she's going to, uh, you know, be sure to drive very carefully. She wouldn't want some sort of accident to ruin this kid's life. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, that, that, that's where it goes into the uh, scene where Malcolm gets pulled out of the garage as uh, Hal and Reese were in the backyard, like uh, whipping hair off of... Uh, uh, what, what they were using to, to like, uh, essentially be bibs. They have, they're, like, cleaning some towels. And as they are, uh, Hal is, like, explaining to Reese. He's, you know, really struggling with, with uh, all of this drama that, that he's, you know, taking part in secondhand because of this uh, barber shop he's put in their kitchen. And he says that, uh, you know, that lady, Paula, uh, who was having an affair, and now she's even cheating on the golf guy with her dance instructor. <laughs> Which uh, then becomes uh, immediately relevant as we then uh, cut over back to the Lucky Aid, <laughs> where uh, Paula is telling Fred that you know they uh, 
She can't stay with him tonight because she has to go to her dance lessons. They're working on the Texas two-step. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. How could you miss that? Oh, no. <laughs> and Fred is complaining that, you know, she's never home anymore. And he, like, turns to Lois, uh, who's, you know, in the break room once again, and says, I spend more time with you, Lois, than I do with my own wife. Know that feeling. Lois, uh, like, turns to him and says, you know, I have a feeling that things are going to change for the better. (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, on cue, Craig comes on over the intercom (laughs) and announces that, you know, he can't keep uh, sneaking around with Paula. Uh, You know, he just can't keep doing this. And that's why he's asking her to marry him. That's right. He's going to make her his wife. (laughs) He's going to make an honest woman out of her. Yes. (laughs) Which uh, we uh, skipped over uh, with the uh, Reese's uh, $11,500. Uh, uh, as Craig is uh, sitting on the couch Reese comes over (laughs) and is like explain the situation to him and says you know uh, he he wants Craig to claim this uh, money for him and Craig can keep the 500 and Craig tells him you know uh, sure I'll do it I think it's important that you have an adult you can trust in your life (laughs) oh Craig which uh, is relevant here as Craig, uh, w- you know, with his proposal, says that he's just bought an $11,500 engagement ring for her. <laughs> <sighs> as Fred is, like, you know, staring in shock at his wife, another Lucky 8 employee comes in and says, I can't believe you've been cheating on me with Craig Feldspar. <laughs> And when Fred, like, turns and glares at that guy, and he realizes that, you know, he's, uh, reveals to her husband that they were also having an affair, he says, hey, I think we're both victims here. Then, uh, the, uh, plotline ends with, uh, Craig continuing on over the intercom, uh, telling Paula that he knows there's, a uh, no room in his apartment for both of them, but they can move in with his grandma and take care of her together. Such a such a Craig move, man. <laughs> then uh, the last little tidbit for this episode, uh, sort of bringing the two plot lines together, is uh, as Hal is giving his speech, they already mentioned to Malcolm about, you know, getting over your first car. Like, as he's finishing up his speech, he, like, pulls out a comb and scissors and starts, like, cutting Malcolm's hair. <laughs> <laughs> Which causes Malcolm to, like, turn back and ask, are you cutting my hair right now? <laughs> Because <laughs> how like holds up the comb and the scissors, very guilty and uh, as if you know, just realizing what he was doing himself. <laughs> and uh, that wraps this episode up. So let's go to our awards. Yeah. yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our roller skating keen award. Our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? So I had to go with the the car intervention. Okay. <laughs> the, I just it's so funny to me. The the idea of them, you know, having this little intervention uh for Malcolm over his car. 
Right. It makes me laugh a lot. So that was that was my go-to for it. It just it cracked me up. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I also went with a car-related moment, but I went with the car trying to eat Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> fair. So we uh, see that, like, actually, uh, like right before that, where uh, you know Malcolm insists that he's the happiest he's ever been, and the hood just like falls. And Malcolm is just, like, dangling out of the hood, like, kicking his legs in the air. Right. Yeah. No, that's that one's good. And moving on to our next award, what did you give your Hot Dog with Mustard Award, your award for the best line? Man, there were so many. Like, Stevie alone had three, and I think he only has three in the show. Like, this one was <laughs> rough, but I, I had to finally give it to Stevie. Like, man... Even now, I'm second guessing myself, but I'm I'm gonna stick with uh, when Stevie's talking to uh, Malcolm. Are you trying to finish what God started? <laughs> talking about him carelessly rolling him off the curb. <laughs> yep, uh, that that was my uh, backup with my original uh, line having been the uh, entrapment. It's not just for the police anymore. <laughs> Right, yeah. uh, but I, I I do have a third one down. That, that that is the Craig line as he's talking to the kid about you know the bullied and it's and the smart kids, the loners, they were the meanest. Ah, <laughs> uh, Craig, <laughs> just bullied by the outcasts. Uh, yeah, it just like also like within the context of the shows, it makes it immediately clear like Craig was being like bullied by the equivalent of the Krell boys. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, uh, moving on to our next award, which of these plot lines did you give the A plot of your heart? I ended up giving it to the the Maximum Overdrive plot line just because, like, it, I think the other one's funnier, but, uh, I don't know, something about, something about seeing Malcolm go just extra levels of crazy... <laughs> I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that. Like I am always happy to see Malcolm fall apart at the seam. <laughs> it makes my it makes my night. It makes me happy. Uh also just the way that they did a lot of the like car gags, even though I'm not like a car guy, I thought was very funny. Like I love the cartoonish chewing up of the like air filter turbo thing whatever the hell that thing is. i don't fucking know uh but the, the part that he puts on and then spitting it out underneath i right. thought that was hilarious uh yeah fair enough this was a hard choice but i ended up going with the other plot uh mostly for the like craig affair side of things fair enough which uh yeah i just think like overall was just like a little bit funnier than the other but like though they're both very both like really good they really are i really enjoyed the uh hal stuff like hal as a hairdresser cracks me up <laughs> <laughs> and uh who did you choose for your favorite character hal okay fair enough i did not i actually went with stevie as my favorite character i almost did as well but i i figured honestly that that was gonna be your pick and especially since I already scooped you, you know, twice, like. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> I love Brian Cranston's uh, acting in this. While I, while it's a little problematic, the the 
way they approach it. Like, I just, I think it's funny. Fair enough. Like, and I, I, Hal makes such a good, just, uh, I, I could see this being a thing that Brian Cranston would do. Also, I feel like I've read somewhere that Brian Cranston actually is like a trained hairdresser. No clue. Maybe that's but, just a fever like dream. A, I mean, that, that sounds like something you would follow up on in a Cranston connection, David. Yeah, I thought about that, but nah. <laughs> I've got, I've got a much clearer thing for that, Jake. But uh, yeah, I, I, I chose Stevie because, as you sort of said earlier, basically every Stevie line in this episode is fantastic. <laughs> Oh, it is. It's so funny. Dude, just so much. And down to his last little line of, is it? Like, yes. Just the way he talks to Malcolm. <laughs> oh, so good. It is. <laughs> and uh, who did you choose for your Cloris Leachman Award? Your award for the best acting. Uh, I had to give that to Craig Lamar trailer. Okay. Stevie, listen, he didn't have a ton of screen time, but when he was on, he hit, and he hit hard. Fair. Uh, but I did not choose him for this award. I chose Frankie Munez. Okay, fair. He does a very good job in this episode of sort of uh, doing what we usually see Hal doing in episodes, as we uh, right. you know, see him just getting like more and more erratic and unhinged. Uh, through this episode as he's like consumed by this obsession i think he does a very good job with it and uh moving on to our next award what did you give your okay boomer award your award for the moment or detail that sets this episode firmly within its time of release uh so this one i struggled with what to go with but i realized that though i've thought about it i don't think i've ever used this one so i went with kind of a gimme but uh the PA system still being used in the supermarket. I haven't seen one of those in forever. Uh, I, I think they shop. still use them in Walmart. Do they? I think so. I thought they went all the radios here. Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, I feel like I haven't heard a store intercom in like a decade. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are parts of the country where that's still very much a thing. But to me, that's a flashback to when I was a kid, and they would page everything over the loudspeaker. Uh, fair enough. I went with a uh, sort of a two-for-one in this, because uh, there's sort of elements of two very popular at-the-time reality TV shows in this episode. That's fair. And those are To Catch a Predator and Intervention. <laughs> uh with To Catch a Predator having come out in 2004 and Intervention having come out, like, about the same time as this episode. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, but, like, like obviously the, uh, like, Reese stuff is very, you know, To Catch a Predator style, like, you know, ca catching the pervert on the internet thing. Then, uh, the, the I, I feel like the, like, reality, like, Intervention show made... Like, this style of intervention, like, very well-known and, like, a, a big thing in, like, the public mind. Yeah, it kind of started this going from being, like, an actual thing to, like, a sitcom trope. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like we didn't have the the sitcom trope of interventions before the intervention show. Right. 
And I like, like for a lot of people, I feel like they probably didn't know what an intervention was or like the like mechanics of it before the right. show. I would agree with that. Like, like after that, like after that show, like that that sort of became like the model for how people think of what an intervention is. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Then, uh, moving on to our next award, who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award, your award for the worst parent? I had to give it to Hal, just because he was so caught up in the gossip and the drama that he missed his teenage son almost dying. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yes, uh, I also have Hal with the uh, little note to myself of he almost let a kid die again. <laughs> right. Thinking back to uh, Dewey almost suffocating in the trash pile. <laughs> <laughs> it's disturbing how frequently this has happened. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it is a concerning trope. <laughs> then that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. Uh, who did you have for your least shitty kid, David? I had Dewey. As did I. Uh, he doesn't really do anything wrong this episode. He just helps Hal with his whole deal. Yeah, exactly. He's he's just the perfect assistant. Yeah. And yeah. I know he's not even getting paid for it. Yeah, exactly, because Hal would never spoil this with money. Although, now that I think about it, to be fair, I could very well see Dewey, like, charging these ladies behind Hal's back. I could, too, but <laughs> since we didn't see it, I didn't assume that's happening. Yeah, yeah Because <laughs> also, he got super excited about the hair. True. Yeah, so... <laughs> and uh, who did you choose as your shittiest kid? Uh, I had to give it to Malcolm. Yep. Yeah, not only did he screw over his brother and his shitty plot, but also just his blind obsession with this fucking car, not to mention, you know, having to have a near-death experience to <laughs> realize what was going on, running out on his intervention, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, uh... Knocking Stevie over into the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He's also the sort of, like, obsessive car guy that, like, is kind of creepy about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <Jake. laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no, no, it just, it, it, it cracks me up, and I, I love, <laughs> like... I know some guys get way into it. I, I I definitely don't. I just feel like I don't let my prejudice against that show as much as certain people. I mean, I, I don't have anything against, like, you know, a, a guy, like, being really into cars. Like, you know, thinking they're cool at, like, you know, knowing a lot about them. But there is, like, a certain brand of car guy. Yeah, I know I what feel you're like Malcolm about. represents here that, that is, like, just so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, that wraps up our awards. But we have a couple of segments left, uh, beginning with WTFF. Where the fuck's <laughs> Francis? <laughs> oh. <laughs> because uh, th this is uh, our first episode in a bit with uh, no Francis. Uh, well, I, except for the one, you know, Eric was on, which is uh, relevant because I have determined that Francis is off busy this week in court. 
suing some guy from Illinois for <laughs> slander. <laughs> yeah, that that tracks. <laughs> I mean, he's had him arrested and investigated like three times. Yes, for, for you know, with no real evidence accusing him of multiple murders, claiming uh, that, you know, he, he was some sort of serial killer, uh, you know, just all kinds of heinous, unsubstantiated facts. And, you know, I, I don't know how the court case is going, but I do know that uh, this week, you know, Francis was tied up in court in that uh, tricky lawsuit. Yep. <laughs> the, the case of the century. <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> And uh, next up, we have the Cranston Connection, which is where we draw connections uh, between ca various characters played by Brian Cranston, which we have determined in some form or fashion are all one character. What do you got for us, David? Uh, well, you see, Jake, today we saw Hal actually getting his first indication of his multiple personalities. This is the first time that Hal has been aware of one of the altars taking over. And that is what we get with this hairdresser, hairstylist, sudden savant uh, at, at cutting hair. This is actually one of Hal's altars and, and other selves, uh, his other personalities, Jake. And we get to see as he starts to get called out by Lois and Reese as he starts to catch his mannerisms and slowly change them, and then culminating at the end with uh, Malcolm being like, are you cutting my hair? And the sheer look of shock and, and realization. And that is how Hal is now starting to become aware of his many personalities. Okay. Which will play a factor in the future as he starts to look into his broken mind and start to try to repair it, which, Jesus, I need to watch this movie. Anyways, uh, <laughs> sorry, dude, I'm looking up, like, old-ass Brian Cranston shit. Uh, that'll happen. He's in some weird shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that just leaves one last segment, and that is David's Guessing Game. Oh, don't make... <laughs> Which, uh, for this week, uh, you correctly guessed that Malcolm would become, uh, obsessed with getting a car. Although, uh, obviously it was much more, you know, being obsessed with the car than getting it. That's fair. Uh, you did think that, uh, there, there would be some sort of... You, you thought that sort of it would be centered around him, like, lying or scheming or cheating in order to get the car. Uh, which he I was, was kind of right. Yeah, it's another one that's like I gave you partial credit for because uh, he he was involved in you know illegal gambling to get the car. Yeah, uh, but the the two parts that you did nail, you, you thought that uh, Hal and Lois would not buy the car for him, which obviously is the case. Uh, and you also said that Malcolm would like become uh, a car guy, like for this episode, <laughs> uh, which obviously was the case. Uh, so with that, I gave you an. 85% is, you know, you uh, got half of it, like, spot on, and the other half, uh, like, fairly close. Okay. And what do you think happens next week in Billboard? Billboard? Billboard. See, I want to go immediately with, like, the sitcom trope of, like, 
they go up and like deface a billboard or like someone they don't like puts up a billboard and they go paint over it, you know? But I think, see, it's Malcolm in the middle. So they always twist something. So instead, I think instead of defacing someone else's billboard, they fig I think like Reese and Malcolm and the boys figure out they can rent a billboard and they get a billboard put up that like is supposed to be like shocking and disgusting and disturbing and very, you know, Malcolm and Reese-esque, like, oh, people driving by this will be horrified. And instead it becomes like this big like art display or something, and like people start talking about it and it's on the radio and it's get like gets like weirdly the exact opposite approach okay that's yeah yeah and i think i'm gonna go with that all right well that wraps this episode up then uh, thank you for listening uh, as always thanks and credit to jacob newfeld who does our intro and outro music you can find links to more of his music that you can listen to uh, in the episode descriptions and if you would like to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we play video games, chat with the audience, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember, life is unfair. Mm-hmm.